0: Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. I I just, this scripture was put on my heart when I was um, praying just now, and I want to read it. Um, Colossians 1, uh, verse 9 says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Um, And the reason why I want to start out with that is because the reality that we have to pray to receive knowledge, literally be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding of God's will. So anytime we're approaching scripture and looking at things, even if we've heard scriptures a hundred times, a thousand times, it's like, Oh, I know that like there is a depth to God's word that he wants to fill us with, and we have to ask to receive it because he wants to put it inside of us. Um, Okay, so last week, I will refer back to this a little bit, but um, we'll see if we can get through everything tonight. What I laid out last week was how we got to this point in human history of us having the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us because Paul referred in Colossians to the indwelling presence of Christ in us, that it was a mystery kept hidden for generations past. But to us, it is, we just talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, him dwelling in us. It's like, of course, of course he's there. But that was a mystery that was hidden in the heart of God that was revealed at Christ. Um, And so what we talked about, if you see here in blue, I kind of have like this depiction of God's glory and how it interacted with humanity over time. So when, in, when Adam was created, God's glory was around him in the garden. It was around him, but that was not the full picture of what God wanted to do with his presence. Then obviously Adam sinned. God's glory kind of left Adam and men were brought into death. But then we see at Mount Sinai with Moses, when he established the old covenant, God's glory. We read these verses last week that the law of the old covenant was glorious. When Moses received it, his face came, uh, when he came down from the mountain receiving the law, his face was shining because he was in the presence of God. It was glorious, but it was a covenant of law that did not last and it was not supposed to last. And then all of a sudden, God began promising a new covenant from the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah when the um, Israelites were in captivity, and that new covenant was manifested through Jesus. Okay, then obviously, Jesus' death, he goes back up, and all of a sudden we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is where we live today, where it's grace upon grace being given to us, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, That was so quick and kind of silly but if you weren't here last week we talked through all of that (laughs) Um, but the whole point was to take a step back and to look at the reality that what when God created Adam and he had his presence that Adam was in the presence of God that that was not the fullness of what God had his intentions for his creation and we're gonna really tease this out tonight what God was wanting was for us to be living temples of His presence, um, to contain His very glory and presence. This was His desire all along. But we talked about how it took Him, it took God, a long time to get here today, to where we are today. <laughs> okay. Uh, I also talked about God in a sense, maturing humanity, right? Um, Back here when uh, Israel was birthed as a nation and they were given the law, in Galatians it talks about them being held captive under the law like a child was, okay? So here's like a birth, here's this child that is having to be held under the law, being told what to do and what not to do, and then all of a sudden... We're adopted as spiritual children now to be free in the spirit. Um, And we, we read Matthew 13, which talks about God is allowing righteousness and evil to mature at the same time until the end when he sends his son. So there's a reality of a maturing of humanity happening that is both a maturing of the evil and righteousness at the same time. So this can be a little um, uneasy when you think about, okay, evil is going to be maturing along in the midst of us, but Romans 5.20, it says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And if you remember, I began last week talking about, I believe that what we're going to be entering into is the presence and power and purity of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit like we have never experienced before. And the reason why is because sin is going to continue to abound. Grace is going to abound much more, right? The capacity of the human heart, like sometimes we don't realize this, sin that gives birth to sin, like it's corrupting. It corrupts. It continues to corrupt, right? Like there's no end to the destruction that sin can cause. It will continue to mature. Sin will destruction will continue to mature. But we have hope because as that is happening, God's righteousness and the capacity that we have as his children is gonna be increasing, which means that our ability to overcome in the midst of the full measure of sin being manifested in the earth is going to be increasing as well. So I hope I hope that's uh, kind of making sense. Um, That gives me hope. And the next time I teach, I'm probably going to hit on that reality more. I thought I was going to do it this week, but then when I started preparing for this, I kind of got taken in a different direction. (laughs) Um, Next time, I'm probably going to talk more about the responsibility we have because of the increasing grace that God is going to be giving to us and has given us. But this, what I want to talk about this week is why why we got to the place that we're at last week i I touched on how did we get here how did we get to this place where we are as living temples with the holy spirit living inside of us this week i want to talk about why why was god establishing us as living temples and why did he go through this whole process to get to where we are today And that, I really believe, is um, the fellowship with God that the new covenant secures. It is about fellowship. It is about communion and intimacy with him. And it's the new covenant that secures that. God was so desirous of humanity that we might share in all that he is and even doing what he does. Okay, so if we think back to Adam... God created him and Eve, and what he commanded them was tend the garden and take dominion, right? And there's a multiplication that was supposed to happen with Adam and Eve of good, tending the garden and like expanding it, right? Obviously, we know that didn't happen, but that's what God does, right? He tends things, he tends to them, makes them good, and then like increases it, right? That's what he does. He increases the goodness, and that's what humanity was supposed to do, but we didn't. Um, But that is still the calling of humanity is to tend and take dominion because God, we're made in his image, and that's what we're called to do and function like God, okay? But he wants us to do that not just apart from him, but in a fellowship with him and experiencing his presence in the same way that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do so. So God exists in the three persons of the Trinity and he has fellowship within himself and he has enjoyment and delight and purity and pleasure within the Godhead. And when he created man, he was calling us, excuse me, into that fellowship And we were supposed to tend, garden, and have dominion from that place of fellowship with God. big thing that i want us to catch tonight okay is in order for god to have what he wanted this fellowship with man that <clears throat> god walked with adam here but there was something deeper that he wanted okay he created here and but there was something deeper that he wanted with man and the reason why why is because jesus We'll get into this in a minute. Is called the Last Adam, and he established a new creation. If anybody else has anything to say, come on up. Man. <clears throat> I have a coffee start open. Okay. Says so the law okay, no, let's talk about this reality. God was wanting fellowship with himself, right? Like he wanted to bring humanity into fellowship with him, okay? <laughs> but only God knows God fully. And the, le- the depth of fellowship that God is wanting us to have with him is revealed by the fact that he put his own spirit inside of us okay? God is the only one that knows God fully, and he put himself inside of us, which means the level of relationship and understanding that God wants to establish with a human is full oneness. I'm not saying we become God. What I'm saying is the level of oneness that we have with him in understanding and communion is to be so deep, that he literally took himself and put us and put him inside of us. Like we can know each other because we can tell each other about us, but God wants a deeper understanding than that. I can't put my own spirit inside of Robin and have her know me, right? We can experience each other, but God wants us to be that close to him that he put himself inside of us. And in order to do that, he had to have a new creation. So the law had its purposes, right? We talked about this. The law was glorious but fading. It, it defined sin. The old co- the, and by the law, I'm talking about the old covenant that was established with Israel at Mount Sinai. It brought awareness of sin, It shed light on what sin was. It was written externally on stones. It left the human heart unchanged. It brought forth death and condemnation, and it kept God's people as children. But the promise of the new covenant gives us a new spirit, a new heart of flesh, God's laws written on our hearts. We become God's people, and it also says he remembers our sins no more. I want to read this in Jeremiah 31. If I can find it. This is a newer Bible. I can't find anything in it. Oh, I got it. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. Okay, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. For this is the covenant that I will make with them. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. So what I want to highlight this week is no one shall teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord. (coughs) So I'm up here teaching. (coughs) Does anybody have conflict with that? there's there are people who don't believe in a teaching ministry at all because of this verse we don't need teachers because without praying the holy spirit we all know the lord we don't need teachers and i want to tell you that the teaching ministry (coughs) what i believe it's kind of like a chef making a meal and bringing it to somebody And and describing it and putting it before you, saying, like, this is delicious food. But you are only going to really experience and taste it and understand it if you just begin eating it yourself, right? Like, with any teaching or any preaching, there's verses that that you're given, and something might inspire you, and that's kind of like, oh, I'm smelling this delicious food. That does look really good. It smells really good. But... Your ability to know the Lord isn't because I'm up here saying something. It's because you're going to go off on your own. You have the presence of, and of the Holy Spirit within yourself, and he's going to be the one teaching you, right? I just wanted to throw that out there. But the reality is, is that's what God is after. In the new covenant, what he said is all will know me. All will know me. It doesn't matter how intellectually smart we are or not or how much money we have or if we're a male or a female, none of that. All have the ability to have a genuine, authentic, real relationship with the Lord through the new covenant because he's made us a new creation to be indwelt with his spirit. That is what he wanted. If So think about this. The new covenant was established again, thousands of years after Adam, right? But within that covenant, God is saying all are going to know me. I think it's in Revelation 13. It says that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So think about that. Jesus His sacrifice happened thousands of years into human history. But in Revelation, there's a declaration that he was slain, meaning it was in the heart of God to do before the foundations of the world. So God knew that he was going to send his son before he created anything, before he even created Adam. He knew that he was going to bring forth a son to establish a new covenant with humanity where all would be able to know the Lord because he would put his spirit inside of them. So we're going to tease this out a little bit more. But the the whole thing of what, again, of what I want us to look at tonight is this desire in God's heart to be this close to us. Because most of us growing up, um, I feel like it's really common for us to have this image of God of an angry being who's pretty distant and silent and even sometimes when we come in to know the Lord, it's like we hear the verses, "God loves me, He's for me," all these things. But as we're living out our life, the way we live is like a little bit more fearful. Like I don't know, is God is God really going to do this for me? Oh, I just messed up last week, or whatever. And we kind of have almost like a question in our mind if God is really good. Um, when I was preparing this, the Lord gave me this picture. It was just a glimpse in my mind but i can't get it out of my head and it's this reality of him being in the garden with adam and there being extreme delight and and pleasure there but then all of a sudden the, the scene changes and it's it's dark and it almost looks like like a war torn area but just darkness desolation and the sense was like, that is the earth now. The garden back then was lush, beautiful, presence of God, there was light. But then all of a sudden we're in this real place of darkness, but Jesus like walks up with a massive smile on his face. And I mean, that's the reality of what God did, right? Like we know this story, that God really did come down into the world that's full of sin but he did it he did it with great delight and a smile on his face because again what he knew he was doing was establishing a new covenant to where he could have the desire of his heart where he could establish you and me as a living temple that his presence could be in and he could enjoy fellowship with a fellowship that was not in the garden with Adam. It wasn't fullness then. So I love that picture that the Lord gave me this week. Okay. So I want to look, the, look at this reality a little bit more of the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, John 14, verse 16 through 17, said, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, even the Spirit of truth. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying like, hey, the Holy Spirit has been amongst you, and he dwells with you. But there's coming a time where he's actually going to be living within you. It had not happened yet. So that word fellowship in the Greek, it's uh, the word koinonia. How many have heard of that word? Okay. That word is not found in the New Testament until after Acts 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which I didn't know that until I started looking at this. So Jesus, when he was walking with his disciples, obviously he talked about the Holy Spirit being in them. I just read that verse. It was very pointed. He's going to be in you. But that fellowship, or it also is um, translated as like participation with or intercourse. I mean, that's how like intense that word means or that the intimacy that it it reveals. Um, Partnership, that wasn't found until after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because the participation with God and that intimate fellowship was not established until God put his spirit inside of us. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen says, uh, Paul, it's a prayer at the end of second Corinthians. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy spirit be with you all the fellowship of the Holy spirit. First John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So when we look in the Old Testament, there are many people who are anointed with God's Spirit to do amazing things. You think of um, King David and Samuel and Samson and Elijah. But the reality of fellowshipping with God and participating with him wasn't commonplace, especially not across a broad spectrum of people. There were individuals who had had quite a relationship with God. I think of Joshua in the tent of meeting, Enoch, who walked with God and was taken up. But again, across a large body of people, there was not a concept of all individuals having this full access and participation with God. People, if they wanted to hear from God, they had to go to the anointed prophet or whoever it was, the man man of God for the hour, in order to understand what they were supposed to do. But with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that is not what we see. God does anoint individuals still for special tasks, but the reality of everybody being able to receive of his spirit, to know him intimately, to know his will, to be guided by him, has been established. And that is all because that's what he wanted from the very beginning of time. Okay, I'm going to read some other verses about this uh, that Jesus said, because I love these. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. In John 14, 26, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And then later in chapter 16, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will declare to you things that are to come. So the the Holy Spirit, what he's wanting to do, he's wanting to show us things. Jesus said that's what he came to do. He's going to take the things that are Jesus. He's going to show them to us. He wants to teach us and guide us into all truth. And he wants us to know his will. That's why at the beginning I started with that prayer, realizing like, he wants to fill us with the knowledge of his will. Um, oh, man, don't have time to get into that. But I'm going to read another verse from Jeremiah uh, chapter 9. Verses 23 and 24. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Okay. And here's something I kind of want to expound upon a little bit in regards to all this, right? Of us knowing the Lord, of the Holy Spirit teaching us things, of him guiding us into all truth. How many of you have been in conversations with people where as they're talking to you, there is serious questions about the goodness of God, about his sovereignty, about the how horrific things are in the world. How could a good God allow these things to happen? Has anybody had conversations with people that have said that? I I for sure have. <laughs> I mean I remember being um, in college. This was before I really surrendered my life to the Lord. But I believed in the Bible. I had my Bible with me on this trip. I was in a car with uh, unbelievers and this was out in Colorado somewhere. and. I remember them talking about how ridiculous it was that someone would believe that the Bible is true. And I didn't even know why. I was crying. I was over, like, hiding my face in the car, and they're all laughing and having a good time, and I'm crying, and I really don't know why. I mean, it was the Holy Spirit, but I had not been filled with the Spirit at that time, but it was the realization of, like, God, I know this is true, but I have nothing to say to them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know how to enter this conversation, right? But the reality is, is if God, if there really is spiritual wisdom and understanding that he has, and he really has given us the Holy Spirit to teach us all things, and he really does want us to know him, like he, in the verse I just read, he says, I want you to be able to boast in the fact that I delight in releasing steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. I want you to be able to tell other people, I know that God delights in doing these things. I know that he delights in justice, and here's how I know. I've been in conversations with people who read the Old Testament, and there are serious accusations against the Lord because they're slavery, because women are held in bondage, like all these things. But the reality is, is they're listening to not the Holy Spirit and not the Lord, because when we begin to position ourselves to listen to the Holy Spirit and read his word, he gives us revelation of why those things happened and what God was doing. I just read a verse last week where in Genesis 15, God was promising Abraham the land of Canaan, right? But he said, you're not gonna inherit it for 400 years because the iniquity of the Amorites has not been brought to fullness yet, right? So... In God's justice, he knew that land of Canaan was gonna be his, it was gonna be his people. But he was not going to allow his own people to inherit that land until the fullness of wickedness had manifested amongst the Amorites and then he would judge them. What do we see right now in Israel? Massive contention for the land and there is a fight between the Palestinians and Israel. Whose land is this? I wanna tell you, it is God's land. It has been promised, but there are reasons why it has not been brought to fullness yet, and it has to do with God establishing his perfect justice. We have to be set on this. And this I don't even have this in my notes, but I am sure of this. You guys, if you have not begun to enter in to looking at and praying about God's heart for Israel, we need to. It is something we have to equip our children with because as we near Jesus's return, he is coming back to establish this new covenant that we have. We already have it. He's coming back to establish it with the nation of Israel as a whole. And those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. His heart, you read through Matthew 25, is so connected to his people that if we are not giving the understanding to our children that that he wants us to be side by side with Israel before his return, we are not preparing them because there's going to be a massive onslaught from the enemy, against anyone who will stand with Israel. And the reason why is because Jesus is after them. Anything that God loves, the enemy is going to come after in full force to destroy. That was really out of nowhere. Not out of nowhere, but I really was not even thinking about going there. That was not on my mind when I was preparing this. but the whole reason why I'm saying all this is we have been given the ability to know God, not just know things about him. Again, when Israel was standing at Mount Sinai, they saw a measure of God's glory, and they were terrified. So they weren't entering into knowing God, knowing his heart, knowing why he was doing the things he was doing, but that's what God wants with us, God is good, and he will lead and guide our lives, right? He's our provider. He's our protector. But we've been invited into a relationship where he's like, hey, I'm going to open up my heart. I want you to know me. I want you to know what I delight in, what my desires are. He wants us to share in that relationship and give us his heart as well. Okay. I'm going to turn this around. We have a new picture. What's that? (laughs) Yeah, I I put the picture on upside down. Otherwise, I could have flipped the board. Okay. (laughs) So... You can see the title, The First Heavenly Man and the Last Adam. Has anybody heard that title about Jesus being the first and the last? I have. And I'm always like, God, what does that mean? Maybe me the first and the last of. I mean, I know there's probably lots of things. But this was the first time when I was looking through these verses, I was like, oh, I have never seen it like that before. So hopefully you can follow with me. So. <clears throat> The first heavenly man and the last Adam. And where I'm getting some of these words from are these two passages, 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5. And we'll be reading through some of these scriptures. So, <clears throat> Jesus was the first human who was filled with the Spirit of God. The first one. The first human to walk on the earth who was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? He's the first one who had this koinonia, this fellowship with God that he enjoyed as a man. And we'll look at this reality of this fellowship in a moment. Um, But ultimately, Jesus is the first of the new creation that God then dispersed to everybody else. Okay. Jesus is also called the last Adam a couple of times. That is from, um, I don't remember if it was Romans or the Corinthians one. But so Jesus was the first man indwelt by the presence and purity of God, but he was also the last Adam in that he was the last. (laughs) Let's see if I can say this right. So when Jesus walked on the earth, he bound himself to the old covenant law. He walked in it. And it says in Matthew five that he fulfilled it. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Okay, so he was the first man to be indwelt by the presence of God, but he was the last Adam in that he was the he fulfilled all of what the old covenant was to destroy what Adam had done. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm kind of like, uh, it's because these are like fresh in my mind a little bit and I'm, I'm hoping I can make more sense of it. Okay. And I want to see, I'm seeing where I want to go here. Adam was, the, was at the beginning of creation when God saw that all things were good, but sin corrupted that. So God brought forth the last Adam to inaugurate his making all things new or new creation. So there's a parallel, right, that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5. A creation, we have Adam. Then there's a new creation. We have the last Adam, Jesus. There's a parallel that Paul is wanting us to pay attention to in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Romans 5. So we, and what God was doing in Adam, and in the last Adam was a multiplication. Okay? Called to multiply. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, I want to read these verses. Okay? Romans 5, starting in verse 12, and going through, through 19. says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death reigned through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. Death reigned from Adam, Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, w- that was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam is a type of the one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Okay, so, Adam, it says... Sin came into the world, and because of his one sin, I'm representing sin as like this green stuff, right? Green and black. (laughs) I know, it's nice. Sin came into the world, and it multiplied, because that was the calling of Adam, right? To take dominion, to tend, to multiply. What he multiplied was sin and death and unrighteousness and a removal of the presence of God. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. So here we have Jesus, the fullness of what God wanted with humanity. And what he did, he took all of these sins, these accumulated sins, where death was reigning, reigning like a king. And it says in Romans 8 that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's why I have the sin of kind of like around him, because at his core, he was indwelt by the presence of God. He was fully God. Sin was around him because he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. But he took all of that abundance of sin and then multiplied it into righteousness, okay? Because God's heart with man from the beginning was there would be a multiplication of the goodness of God adam 's call he fell, and that calling turned into complete destruction. <laughs> but through Jesus, this, the last Adam and the new establishing the new creation, a new creation in our human flesh, he multiplied all of that so that his one act of righteousness would lead to justification and life and a new creation for all men. Is this kind of making sense? <laughs> I know it's kind of weird. When I read these passages, it helps me to draw this out um, because I just see things in pictures. First Corinthians um, 15, it says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So I want us to think about it this way too. At the new creation, this was what I see as the inauguration of God making all things new, right? We know in Revelation 21, there's a promise that God is making a new heavens and a new earth. But before he was doing all of that, what he had to recreate in a sense was the human frame, wanted to recreate the human frame so that we would be indwelt by his presence so that when he establishes the new heavens and new earth, we're going to be in full glory with him in that. Okay. Second Corinthians uh, five. Okay. 16, eight says from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Romans 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Okay. I want to see what... so only life can share with life only light can share or participate with light can, can light have any fellowship with darkness or participation with darkness light casts it out when life is present death is not present where truth is, lies cannot exist, right? So that's why God had to establish the new creation and bring forth the last Adam. Because if, if we were born of dust just like Adam, and sin and death was reigning over us, there was no possible way for us to have fellowship with God, who is light who is life, who is glory, who is beauty. Like there is no possible way that we would be able to have fellowship with God the way that he desired if we remained that way. So God brought forth the last Adam to make a new creation. A new creation that would be filled with his light so that we could have fellowship with, with him the way that he desires i want to read john 17 we had to be made new in order for god to receive and to have the fellowship with us that he desires i'm going to read from john 17 verse starting in verse 20 this is jesus praying before he went before he was betrayed He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's he's praying for us through their word as the disciples. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So over and over again, Jesus is making this declaration of a desire of oneness amongst his believers and amongst us with the Lord. But again, that how could that happen unless he actually put himself inside of us? We do not possess, we did not possess the ability to be brought into that oneness and relationship apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit. But this is crazy when you read it In verse 24, he says, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. So Jesus came and he came down to be in the midst of where we are. But he's saying, that's not what I want. I want them to be with me where I am in the fullness of my glory that you established for me at the beginning of creation. So right now, (laughs) we are living in this time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When we believe in Jesus, we have the indwelling presence of God. But those whom he justified, he wants to sanctify, and those who are sanctified, he wants to glorify. He wants us in a measure of glory and presence and power and purity that is beyond anything we can think of right now the unveiled presence and glory of Jesus is what he's wanting to bring us into. And that was his desire from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Is That God created our, our, our frames that we would be living temples. Um, I don't have anything else for tonight. <laughs> okay, good. We're out of time. Anyways, Um, does anybody have anything that you want to share? I just, um, I don't know. I'll I'll say this as, as someone who's teaching, like when you start looking at the word, God is his wisdom is so manifold, like it's so big. And he uses so many different pictures and analogies and things to help us understand. And then when you start to like bring it out, it's like, oh my goodness, God, this is so big. This is so complex. And yet you want to make it really simple because we're supposed to live as children, right? Who are receiving from you. Anyways, I just want you to know that I, I love how wise God is and I'm humbled every time I try to teach because I'm like God this is ridiculous <laughs> um, but it is fun and um, okay I'm just going to pray so Father I, God I thank you Lord you are so complex so complex God our brains and our hearts are really small, (laughs) and yet, God, you have desired for us to come into this place of truly knowing you, of truly understanding you, God, of having truth established in our inner man, of us being a temple of your presence, God. I thank you, Lord, that it's so simple, and yet it's so complex, and that's why for eternity, God, we will enjoy the pleasures of knowing you because you are an eternal God of unsearchable wisdom, of unsearchable love, God of of unsearchable power, and we get to spend eternity with you, seeking you out, of knowing you, of experiencing you, God. Lord, I just ask for those in this room and those who are watching, God, that we, um, above all the things in our life, God, I thank you that you care about all the things in our life that need tending to, that need attention, our schedules, our children, our jobs, our finances. God, all of those things. I thank you that you are aware of all of those things. But Lord, in the midst of that, God, you want us to be fellowshipping with you, participating with you, understanding your heart, understanding your will. So God, I just ask for that grace upon grace for each heart to enter into the conversation with you, Lord, of fellowshipping with you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time.